in the middle of our drive series. And if you forgot what the acrostic stands for, it's directions, red light, green light, independence, vision, and exits. So what week are we in now? Anybody tracking? Independence. Yeah, so, you know, we didn't necessarily plan this, but it seems like everyone has been talking about, you know, their stories for their first car and, and this. And I thought, you know, when I think back to what it was like to get a license, like how crazy was that, right? If, if you can remember the independence you felt. But for me, I didn't get my license at 16 because I made a deal with my dad when I was 14. Now, if you grew up in the 70s, you know, the oil embargo of the early 70s, like gas prices went from 30 cents to 55 cents, you know, and it was crazy. We've kind of experienced similar, right? Um, but here's what my independence looked like. It was a new 10-speed bike, huh? Is that the deal or what? I rode this thing everywhere. It was awesome. And I said, Dad, if I can spend my life savings, which was $400 at that moment in time, and buy this bike, I'll delay. I won't get my license at 16. I'll wait till I'm 17. Now, I have a twin sister. I don't know why she put up a fuss because it was a package deal. We were both going to wait till we were 17, and she never said anything, and my dad went for it, and I got my bike, and, and I was loving life. But then if you know my story at all, at 17, I get my learner's permit. I'm ready to learn how to drive. And my dad passes away really suddenly. Like, what a bummer. And I'm thinking, you know, one, I miss him, but I'm like, who's going to teach me to drive? Well, thankfully, a family friend stood up, uh, you know, came, came and, and uh, I learned through a family friend. I never went to driver's ed, but um, there was two cars in the family. There was a Suburban, which my mom drove, and my dad had a stick shift car, which my mom could not drive a stick shift. My sister did not know how to drive. And my first car was a Datsun B210. Anybody remember the Datsuns? Come on, yeah. So for those of you newbies in the congregation, right, Nissan put out a car called Datsun in the 70s. Now this little cream puff here got 40 miles to the gallon, all right? In the oil embargo days when gas was 60 cents a gallon, that was a treat to have. I I like I have a hybrid now and it barely gets over, like maybe 50, but... You know, why, what happened? This was the 70s. Why can't they do 80 or 100 miles to the gallon? I guess electric cars get infinity, but you still got to charge them. Um, all right, so this morning, we're talking about independence, and I've named the message. Um, well, wait a minute, let me get there. My five loaves and two fish. I'll drive. Okay, thanks. My five loaves and two fish. So, Fast fun fact, did you know that there's only two miracles that are in all four Gospels? Two miracles. One of them is my five loaves or five loaves and two fish. It's not mine, but it's the five loaves and two fish. The other one is the resurrection. So, so why, like the resurrection, we understand why that would be in all four Gospels. Why the five loaves and the two fish? Why is that in there? We're going to read this morning from Matthew I could have chosen Mark, I could have chosen Luke, I could have chosen John. Actually, later I will look at a little bit at John because we need uh, the the extra uh, insight that John adds. But we're going to read from Matthew here. And it says, That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. So what's going on that they're in a remote place, it's late and there's crowds? Like what's going on? What just happened that day 
was Jesus and his disciples got news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. All right, that's not a, that's not a great day, right? When you hear that his cousin, some of the disciples had been disciples of, of John before they came and were disciples of Jesus. So this is one of their good friends, John. They knew him well. He got beheaded. So they all decide, Jesus and his disciples, they're going to go to a remote place. Why? Because they want to get away. They want some time to themselves. Have you ever wanted that time to yourself? And you get on vacation and then like your neighbor is there and they're like, hey, let's hang out all week. How about not? You know, I want some time alone. But Jesus gets there. They get to this remote place and the crowds figured it out. They were there waiting for Jesus. So in true fashion as who Jesus is, he spends all day healing them. He heals them all. It says he had compassion. He was filled with, filled with compassion. So now it's all day and it's evening time. They're in a remote place. The disciples are saying, hey, send the crowds away. And Jesus goes, that's not necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he says. And then he tells the people to sit down on the grass And Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and he looks up towards heaven and he blesses them. And then he breaks the loaves into pieces and he gives the bread to the disciples who distribute it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. If you're a man here, raise your hand. Look around. How many men do we have? Maybe a third? So likely, maybe there was a third in the crowd that were men. That's 15,000 people that were fed that day. I know it's the 5,000, but 15,000 people, right? Do the math. Maybe maybe it would be more if we had more Murphy families and Wheeler families. It could have been 20,000 people, right? (laughs) But that's 75 to 100,000 loaves were distributed that day. There is no restaurant in Manchester that you could door dash 75 to 100,000 loaves. It's like having 40 miles to a gallon in the 70s. How did they do this? They fed, they had 100,000 loaves on, on an evening, on an evening meal. That's just amazing what they did. So Jesus breaks the loaves and the fishes. It's not their city supply, the need. They had 12 baskets left over. It was pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, where did they get the loaves and the fishes from, right? I'd I'd like to look at this story two ways, one through the eyes of of the boy and then one through the eyes of the disciples. But you'd say, the boy, wait a minute, Matthew doesn't mention a boy. It just says the disciples gave him five loaves and two fish. Aha, but that's why we're going to go to John. So through the eyes of the boy, I'm letting you see what Matthew says, but I'm going to read to you what John says. John 6, 5 to 8 says, Jesus soon saw a a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is this with all this crowd? All right, I don't know what family you grew up in, but, you know, I'm I'm an Italian, and I think Italian and Jews, we have the same kind of moms, right? My mom, you came to my house, my mom's going to go manja, manja, right? She's just going to throw food at you, and you would never leave the house without a lunch, without a dinner, right? Was this the only Jewish boy in the crowd whose mama packed him a meal that day, right? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. But they get there and Jesus says to them, let's look between verse 16 and 17. Jesus says to them, it's not necessary, you feed them. What do you think happened to that moment? It's not written down. But if you would imagine for me, like, I'm sure the disciples kind of huddled together away from Jesus and are like, us feed them? Is he crazy? Like, have you looked at the size of this crowd? We don't have, do you have anything? I don't have anything. Like, there's no way we could possibly feed them. And maybe this little boy, because a big crowd, right, 15,000 people, you're not going to hear from one side of the crowd to the other side of the crowd. He must have been right near them. And he probably overheard their argument and overheard what they're saying. He's like, hey, guys, I got five loaves and two fish. What would you do that day? I mean, this boy, he'd probably seen the miracles. He'd seen what Jesus has been doing. And he's like, I I got five loaves and two fish. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know that I would do that. I'd be like, that's my five loaves and two fish. I'm not going hungry tonight. I'm going to be eating my dinner that my mama packed for me. I don't know that I want to give that up, right? So funny aside, this week I'm preparing this message, right? And it's lunchtime here in the office, and, and I've got my penne and meat sauce from the night before, and I'm looking forward to this penne and meat sauce. I microwave it, and as I'm microwaving it, Kevin mentions, oh, yeah, I didn't bring a lunch today. Like, bummer, man. I got my penne and pasta, right? So I microwave it. I go into my office, and I'm enjoying it, and Billy's like, oh, I'll share with you. I've got more than enough. I'll... And I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was just a moment. I'm like, this is just too crazy. It's too crazy. What would you do? I probably wouldn't share it. That's what I would do. I'd be like, this is mine. It's my five. We all have a chance to be independent. Like Steve said last week, some things are permissible, not profitable. You could be independent this morning. You could do it your own way. But you know what? It's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of God's blessing for you, right? But it is a choice. And this boy with faith said, here's my five loaves and two fish. Can you do anything with this? Like he was standing, he got an invitation that day to have a front row seat to one of the greatest miracles, one that's in all four gospels, all because he was willing to give what he had and said, you know what? I'm not going to be independent. I'm not going to keep it. I'm not going to say it's mine. I'm going to give it up. And I'm going to give it up to Jesus. So here's the question I asked myself. I already know the answer. <laughs> I want to do better. The question I'm going to ask you, are you going to keep your food and be independent? Or are you going to become dependent on Jesus and say, Jesus, here, I'm going to give you what I have. Five loaves and two fish, what could that possibly do for fifteen to 20,000 people? Nothing. And how many times do we say, my talents... My gifts, my abilities, my time, it's not going to make a difference. Why would I even bother doing this? Because it's too small. I can't make a dent. No, maybe you can't, right? But God did that day. Jesus took those, that little five loaves and two fish. And it was the boy's act of faith that, that mattered that day. You know, I remember a time in our lives, Meg and I had just moved from Texas to, to New Hampshire uh, it was late 80s, and we had, we had gone to this marriage conference when we were first married in Texas, absolutely loved it. We get up here, Meg looks it up, and she's like, Greg, I want to get involved on this team. And I'm like, yeah, a whole lot of no from me. I do not want to get involved. I've got enough to do. We're raising kids. I'm busy. I don't have time. She's like, how about we just volunteer a little bit, you know, and um, we'll be a, we'll be a, a, 
was a church representative or something. Okay, we can do the church representative thing. Well, fast forward, you know what? A good friend of mine, I thought his marriage was, was doing great, and he ends up leaving his wife and getting divorced and having an affair, and I'm crushed. I'm like, you know, if I had been involved in this marriage conference, maybe this guy would have come to the marriage conference because I invited him and his marriage could have been saved. And, and, May, and I, at that moment, I said, Meg, you know, you've been hearing God. I've been missing it. Like, let's get involved. And we started to run the marriage conference in New Hampshire every year for, I don't know, 10, 12 years that we did this. We brought this national conference to New Hampshire. Now it's not New Hampshire anymore. I hate to say it. Maybe not because we're not involved, but that's some of the reason. But it's in Maine and, and Rhode Island. Guys, this conference is amazing. We've been at least 22 times in 37 years of marriage. If, if you're married here today and you've never been, I'm encouraging you to go. It's wonderful. But it was my five loaves and two fish moment to say, what could we do if we offered our time to this, to this marriage conference? We saw thousands of marriages get touched through the years that we served. It, it was a five loaves and two fish moment. You may think you don't have enough. You're not capable. You know, God has given us all talents. What are you doing with those talents? Are you going to give them to Jesus today? So this is what Jesus says. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You know, some of us, we're hanging on to our independence. We're hanging on to our life saying, it's mine. What does it gain for you? What does it do? You're going to hang on to your life. You're going to be grabbing it. And, and in the end, you're going to lose it. It won't, it won't last for eternity. But Jesus says, if you'll give your life to me, then you're going to have eternal life and you're going to gain so much more. But the choice is ours this morning. Are we going to choose our independence? Or are we going to choose to say, no, God, I, I, want, I want what you have for me. So now I want to switch lenses. Instead of through the boy, I want to look at a lens through the disciple that day. Right? So same scripture. That evening, the disciples come to him. You know what? As I look at the disciples, man, I can relate. They, they were giving Jesus the most appropriate and informa- you know, the best information that they could possibly give him. Here's the data. Here's the facts, Jesus. John the Baptist has died, all right? We wanted to get away to be alone for crying out loud, and you've been ministering to all these people, and I'm frankly sick and tired of it. Like, is, enough is enough, Jesus. Come on, it's late. The crowds found us. You've been healing them all day. We never asked them to come. We didn't invite them today. We wanted to be alone. It's late. We're in a remote place. The, the only responsible thing to do right now is to send all these people home, Jesus. That's the facts. Anybody disagree? Right? I, I relate to these disciples when they say, send them home. And Jesus goes, that's not necessary, guys. You feed them. I would like to go like this. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Jesus? Have you seen this? So the disciples that day, they, I don't even know what was going through their mind. So here's the deal. You may know that I have said often I'm a data guy, right? I've been an engineer my whole career before I became a pastor. I've been a data guy. I look at data. And like one of my favorite sayings is, in God we trust. You know the rest of the statement? All others must bring data, right? If you haven't heard it, like you can use that. It's a great statement. Another one that I, I will always tell my kids growing up is data is free. 
So it's like, don't tell me you don't know something. If you're going to buy a car, research. What does Consumer Reports say? What's the reliability history? What's, what's it going for in this state and other states? Like, do your research. Get educated. Data's free. So as a data guy, when I look at Jesus saying, no, you feed them, I'm like, Jesus, that's impossible. Like, that's just impossible. There's no way we're going to be able to feed them. And this is where data leads us sometimes. Our logic, our intellect leads us to believe that things are not possible. And you know what? You're right. They're not possible. But that's in the natural. Right? And there's something that happens in the spiritual when we can come to Jesus. And we can say, Jesus, you know what? I I know that it's not possible. But I'm going to take my way of thinking and I'm going to offer it up to you. And I'm going to say, God, could you do something here? And, you know, if you read the Shallow News a couple weeks ago, I shared this scripture and I, and I shared this question that I felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me right as I was reading that morning. And I felt this. Does my common sense prevent me sometimes from stepping out in faith? Does my common sense prevent me from seeing miracles that God would want to do because I've not even thought about coming to him with my five loaves and two fish or offering this up? You know, so if you're a data guy like me, there's times to use your data. And there's times for common sense and logic, but there's also times to come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus and you offer what you have and say, Jesus, I don't get it, I don't understand, but could you do something? It's like, boom, there's going to be a miracle coming because we're offering what we have to Jesus. It's courageous for us to leave our common sense sometimes, isn't it? For us to say, all right, here's what logic would say, here's the reasonable thing to do. But you know what? I just feel the presence of God in me right now, and I feel like I need to go and do this, right? And six years ago, I'm working for Intel. I've got a son in high school. I've got a daughter in college who's not married, and I know there's going to be a wedding coming. I got bills, and I feel like God says, you need to take that retirement package. And I'm like, what? Leave my well-paying job? Why would I ever do that? No, no. And from a Monday to a Friday, all of a sudden I feel like, wow, I I think God is really saying I should leave Intel. I don't know what I'm going to do next. But I feel, so I'm like, I I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on a walk with Meg. I'm going to tell Meg. And she's going to be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) And Meg goes, yeah, you've been talking for a while now that, you know, maybe God wants, yeah, I think that's a good thing to do. You should leave it. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to leave Intel? Am I going to leave my security And you know what I did? I walked away from it. And I've never regretted it. I didn't know I was going to be pastor when I left Intel. I didn't know what I was going to do next. But when we say, if if it's our common sense and our data that's leading us, you're going to end up with the natural. You want to end up with God moving in a supernatural way? Give him, come to the end of what you have and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you that you're going to work in my midst. It's a choice we have. Here's the choice that Jesus made in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Right? If that's what Jesus would say to his father, how can we say, no, I'm going to be independent this morning. No, not my will, Lord, but yours be done in my life. Because that's how the miraculous happens when we can can give all of ourselves to Jesus, when we can take that courageous step of faith. So what's the situation that you're facing today? Right? What is... What is your logic? What is your intellect saying? Nope, can't go there. But what's the presence of God saying in your heart? 
right? This is a red light, green light moment that Steve spoke about. And, and in small group, I don't know what your small groups are like, but we had a lot of discussion on how do you know if it's a red light or a green light? It's, it's really something that you know in your spirit. And, and in this past week in the Shallow News, I shared this little story. I said, you know what, if I want to be able to hear a cricket in the city, I don't go to a city to try to hear crickets. Where do I go? I go to the woods to hear them. And now that I'm really used to hearing the sound of crickets in the woods, maybe I'll recognize one in a back alley in the city. And if you want to hear God, you've got to be spending time in his presence. I read God's word every day because it's, I'm just soaking myself in the word or in the woods for this, for this example. Right? And as you spend time in God's word, you're hearing. The Holy Spirit has a chance to speak to you through the word. But then the Holy Spirit also has a chance to speak to you through your mind and through your spirit. And, and there's a time that you're going to be in the city and you're going to need to hear a cricket. You're going to need to know God's wisdom. And you sense that still small voice. You know, I don't know why, but I feel like God is telling me I need to go do this. And you take the step of faith. And when you take the step of faith, the most amazing things happen when we can do that. So now I want to close with a scripture from Paul. Paul was one of the best, well, not one of the best, but he was one of the most renowned disciples. Uh, He wrote more than a third of the New Testament. He had a thorn in his flesh that he was going to Jesus saying, Jesus, would you remove this thorn from me? Three times, this is what God told him. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. Like, think about that logically. That doesn't make sense, does it? But God is counterintuitive in so many ways. This is where the logic and the spiritual, like, they're just on two different planes. So if you're with me this morning in your logic, like, it's this, you just got to take the leap into the spiritual and say, God, what do you have for me up here? It's a different plane. My power works best in weakness. Some of us this morning are afraid to say that we're weak because that's not what we do. We don't say, hey, yeah, you know what, I, I, I can bench two pounds. I'm weak. No, we don't boast about our weaknesses. We boast about, oh, yeah, I benched 320 today, yeah. But God, God is telling Paul, my power works best in weakness. Now, there's something when you can say to God, God, you know what, I don't have all that I need. God, I'm, I'm kind of messing up in life right now, actually, because I'm trying to do it myself. Lord, I'm weak. I need you. That's a powerful thing to say to God, because the moment you can recognize your need for God, shoom, God will fill that need with his power. Amazing. God's power can come and fill you, could fill me. What do I have to do to get that power? I want that power. Do you want that power? If you want it, It's saying to God, God, would you fill me? I need you this morning. So I want to close with two questions. Will you keep your five loaves and two fish today or will you offer them to Jesus? Right, that's a a powerful question for us to consider. What would you do? I'm not talking about your penne and your meat sauce, right? I'm talking about your gifts, your talents, your time. If God says to you, Hey, I want you to go and do this. I want you to minister to that person. I want you to get involved here. I want you to volunteer there. Would you be willing to do that? And, and it's not just for me to say, hey, go do this. No, you got to sense God saying to you that day, hey, this is an opportunity. Because God invites us in. That boy got an invitation to see one of the best miracles that were ever performed on, the, on planet Earth. 
because he was willing? Or is your common sense preventing you from seeing the miraculous? Is your common sense preventing you from saying yes and taking that step of faith this morning? Right? I believe that God has a moment for all of us. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? And we just want to take a moment here and just wait on the Holy Spirit. And when I say wait on him, this is what I, uh, this is what I mean. I mean, we're just going to be quiet for a moment and listen to what our hearts are telling us. If, if God wants to get a hold of you this morning, he'll make it known to you. Maybe your heart's going to beat faster, but you're going to start to get thoughts. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You know why? Because I've prayed and I asked him to speak to you. And he's answering my prayers. So what is it that your common sense is preventing you from, from doing? If you sense the Spirit of God this morning, say yes to him. Don't say, no, God, it's mine. It's my five loaves and two. Say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, God, I need you in my life. If he's inviting you to witness some of the, one of the greatest miracles in your life, don't, don't miss out on that invitation because you're too stubborn to say yes or too proud to say yes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Move in our presence, we pray. Thank you, God. If you're here this morning and you're sensing the Spirit of God just telling you to say yes to Him in any area of your life, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning, thank you for those hands. Anyone else? Yep. Lord, I thank you, God. We come to you and we say yes. We say yes to what your Spirit is saying to us, God. We we don't want to be led by our, our natural thinking, Lord. We want to be led by your Spirit. So, Father, would you use us? We say, here we are, God. Would you use us? Lord, we want to witness what, what only you can do in our lives, in our families, in our community. God, we, we want to see the 5,000 fed, Lord. We want, we want you to take what, what is weak to us, Lord, and we want to see your power come through. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I've been running from God. We sang that song, His Goodness is Running After Us. If, if you've been running from God and today's a day where you're like, I need to stop running. I, Jesus, I need to come with you. Would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? Is there anyone like that today? You'd say you've been running from God. You need Jesus. I see your hand. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand. Lord God, we, we don't want to run anymore. Lord, I pray for these that have raised their hands. God, Lord, they know that you're chasing after them with your goodness. Lord, let them stop. Let them be still. Thank you, God. We give you our lives today, Jesus. Work in our midst. We thank you for all these things, Lord. And I pray your blessing now over your people, God. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, Lord. Just as there were fifteen to 20,000 people fed and there was 12 baskets left over, God, I pray for your blessing that runs over in each of our lives, Lord. God, that we would, we would have that invitation and we would say yes to it, Lord. We would see you move in our lives like never before. Thank you for that, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. If you need prayer for anything, if you've been running from God, I'd love to talk with you down here and pray with you. But have a great day. God bless.